This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, and welcome to An Aromatic Life. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you because today we're going to India. We're going to explore a few of the indigenous aromatic materials that have defined Indian perfumery for centuries. I'm not sure if you realize this, but so many of the raw materials used in perfumery and aromatherapy around the world come from India. They've been around for centuries, and as you'll learn today, are still being produced in very traditional ways. When I learned that my guest today had written this beautiful book called The Perfume Project, Journeys Through Indian Fragrance, I knew I had to bring her on the podcast to learn more. So let me introduce you to her. Devrina Dingra is a writer and journalist. She's a graduate of the Columbia University School of Journalism and has previously worked at Elle, Vogue, and Harper's Bazaar magazines in India as a writer and editor. She lives and works in New Delhi and Goa, and as I said, just released this book, which we talk about here today. She tells us about the center of Indian perfumery in Kanaj, often described as the Gras of the East. Although, let's be honest, perfumery in Kanaj was around much earlier than in Gras, so it should really be the other way around, right? We explore itters, including my favorite, Mitti itter. We talk about traditional distillation processes and also about this really unique material that she learned about called Choya Nak, which some of you perfumers listening might know about. Of course, we get into the difficulties the sandalwood industry has had with both poaching and adulteration and discuss what the future holds for the industry. It was such a rich and informative talk, so I won't hold you up any longer. Enjoy my conversation with Devrina Dingra. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Gagalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful, yet is so underappreciated. There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. I want to welcome you to An Aromatic Life. Davrina, thanks so much for being here. Really excited to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much, Frauka, for having me. This is really a pleasure for me to be recording with you today. I'm so happy that my book reached you all the way there and that you reached out to me. Yeah, I read this book cover to cover in no time. You're just a beautiful writer, just a wonderful writer. And we're going to talk about your book today about Indian perfumery, especially about the natural materials and how the oils are made. I, I love that part. But before we do that, I wanted to just ask you a question I ask all my guests to yeah. start out. And that question is, what does the sense of smell mean to you? Uh, sense of smell to me, I think, means an ability 
to be really present and to be connected because when I think of smell, I mean, I think, you know, it is our most underused sense. You know, it's it's involuntary. You breathe and you smell, so you just don't think so much about it. And so for me, that smell, you know, in that act of stopping to smell and to pay attention, to me, it just means being very, very present wherever you are and being connected. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's such a beautiful sense. And I, I'm grateful that you're someone who's so connected with it. I did want to ask you when you were younger, if you were as connected with your sense of smell as you are now, I'm going to guess that you were, whether you are or not, you'll have to tell me, but only just the way you write is so vivid and descriptive that I have to believe you were always connected to your sense of smell. You know, um, I don't remember, I don't recall being like some, anyone, someone who was really present to this sense of smell any more than anyone else. But I, I realized that I probably was only when I began writing and all of this came back to me very easily and very clearly. Um, so, yeah, I think I definitely noticed, you know, a few that stand out to me because I remember, for example, going into my mother's closet. Um, okay. And, you know, there would be all her saris hanging there. And they always smelt of the perfume that she wore. She had like one that she's been wearing for the last 40 years. Is that um, right? Still wearing yeah. it? Yeah, still wearing it. <laughs> nice. Very helpful for me <laughs> that my parents <laughs> Um, You know, and the, the smell of like the starch saris and that, and that perfume and the smell of the makeup. I remember that really clearly. And then I remember this uh, smell in the kitchen of um, boiled rice which is uh-huh. you know, it's still one of my absolute favorite smells, boiled rice. And then, uh, you know, when I was 10 years old, I went away to boarding school. So I was in uh-huh. a residential school. And that, so you know, I think that when I went there, there was all these new smells that I was introduced to. And uh, I think just the circumstances in which I was introduced to them, it made like, a real impression. So I remember those very clearly as well. So I think maybe I was paying attention and I just didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it does take going back and thinking about it more to make you realize you paid attention. But did you feel like, I'm just wondering if in the Indian culture, if people are just more, you know, maybe this is a generalization, I apologize, but do you find that you're more connected with smelling? I've just heard I've never been to India. I really want to go one day. But I just hear it's just, there's so many beautiful smells all around and I just feel it's so rich there's a lot of smells I mean not all of them are beautiful for sure but there's just a well lot that's everywhere smells. that's everywhere yeah. <laughs> like pleasant and unpleasant and I think I would say actually in India most people really take it for granted really they're always there and there's so many of them you don't realize you know until they're not there mm-hmm. until it's missing or you're in a different context that's when I think these smells become sort of more poignant or more significant but actually no I would not say we all smell very well we're all like taking it for granted all the time well it's funny you say that because in your book you talk about when you moved to New York and how New York didn't give you that sensory pleasure <laughs> and, and that you're like oh wow I kind of miss my 
yeah, my home I country. Would, yeah, I wouldn't say it didn't give me sensory pleasure, but it was all really different. And, you know, yeah, like okay. I said, I think I didn't realize until they weren't there just <laughs> how many, you know, smells were like a regular part of my life and of the landscape yeah, and I was so yeah. used to them. Uh, yeah, you know, pleasant and pleasant, like I said, just uh, many of them. And I think that's also because in our cooking, Yes, I was just going to say, so much of it. It's led by the cooking and the spices and the herbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes total sense. No, it's true. So India has such a deep, rich history of integrating scent into its culture. And you touch on that in the introduction of your book. So I'm just curious, what are the most prominent olfactory elements? So I don't know whether that's products or rituals, habits that you might have that you feel have survived and are still really prominent in India today? Um, Yeah, I think you're right. And we do have a very, very long history of use of fragrance. And indeed, some of that has, you know, survives to the present day. And I think if I had to pick just one or two, there would be incense, for sure, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. this is something that is ritually used in almost every household every day. Every day. Um, Interesting. In many, many households where people are religious, so they'll, you know, there's either, there'll be prayer to greater or lesser degrees, but at least lighting a stick of incense is really common. So that is a ritual that is still there, as well as the use of jasmine flowers. Because ah. if you go to the southern states of India, you know, where it grows really abundant, this ritual of like for the women to wear it every day in their hair oh. is absolutely it's the norm every day. So How again, nice. that is something that's, you know, carrying down um, through a very, very long passage of time and still present. Oh, that's wonderful. And then I was reading in the book that you actually studied perfumery a little bit, right? As yeah, part briefly, of the research of this book? Very uh, briefly. Yeah. <laughs> You're qualifying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was in grass for like uh, three weeks. You know, there was okay. doing like the, the summer school kind of uh, program of, um, was, it wasn't at, at the time, the book was not really more than an idea in my head. I wasn't really working on it actively, but I was at the time working with a fragrance brand that had just started in India. It was like a niche brand and ah. I, was, I just started working for them. And, you know, so this was something I wanted to do, but it also, of course, it fit in so well with the work that I was doing. And eventually, yeah, it helped me very much in my writing. So what was that like when you actually went there? Because it's one thing to have an idea about what perfumery is and another thing to actually start learning about it. Were you surprised by anything? I mean, did it? Everything. Everything surprised you. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it, you know, because it really like, opened up um, this whole universe to me you know and I went from kind of knowing very well a handful of smells that you know intimately you know and then then just discovering so many more like dozens upon dozens more because when you're in fragrance school primarily you're just smelling you're just sitting there all day and you're just smelling (laughs) Um, just letting your brain get to know these materials one by one there was so many of them you know so there was some of course that I knew um, and then so many that I didn't know and then then there was the entire sort of spectrum of synthetic materials that I had never smelled before 
Um, so, you know, it really kind of opened that up to me. And then the concept of um, how these materials work in, in composition. Yeah. Uh, right. Versus just by themselves, what it smells like when you smell it on a blotter by itself and then what it does in composition. And, you know, then it made me realize how you could have, you could apply this concept of chords, which is, you know, the accords that you make. And then, so the, just the concept of accord and then its opposite, discord, and how these apply yes. as well to compositions when you start working with materials and fragrance so yeah yeah, it was fascinating I loved it I always liken materials that go into a fragrance composition to people and personalities you know some people get along really well and some people don't get along and you really have to get to know who's in the room and who's going to be working together (laughs) and and if you play any kind of music or you listen to music then of course you know it's the same thing the composition the accords the yes yes all of that and the metaphor just works Perfectly. Now, I know you work, if I'm not mistaken in my research, you worked for a magazine? Yeah. Ma- I mean, I worked in a bunch of magazines actually through my career. Oh, in a bunch. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, in uh, fashion magazine. So I worked at Elle magazine in India and then at Vogue and then at Harper's Bazaar. So all of because, them. Because, <laughs> no, exactly. And then I, I know that you probably had. Having been in the fragrance industry, I know they send all kinds of samples to all the magazines to get them into the magazines. And then, you know, they send descriptions of things and all of that. And you, did you do that bef- before you actually started learning to yeah. make compositions? I mean, so it's kind of like one thing to understand what somebody's sending exactly. you and the descriptions they send you. And then another thing to actually start knowing what goes into creating and how different exactly. that world is. Exactly. You're completely right. And, you know, I say this to people also, it's like, you know, my, that my, I think my first encounter when I started working, you know, and you write on the beauty side of the magazine with fragrance is, of course, the samples, but the PR material that comes along with the samples and how, when they, when, if you read those, then the writing in those and the language of in those is, is really so opaque, you know, it really doesn't tell you anything. It is designed to be that way. It's designed yes. to be sort of, um, you know, to be exotic and, and also somehow at the same time tell you nothing at all. And it was very, <laughs> exactly important, right. <laughs> very important to me when I started writing to, to not do that, to not fall into that trap, you know, to... Um, and you didn't. I... And to yeah, demystify things instead of like add to the mystery around um, fragrance or add yes. to this like, ex, you know, exotica around it. I wanted to try and strip it of that. You hit the nail on the head and it's beautifully done in your book because you talk about the reality of where the industry is today and what the past held, you know, this mix of history and modernity, which is really great. So should we get into your book? Because <laughs> you do such yeah, a great job. Let's, let's talk about your book. So let me tell everybody what it's called. It's called The Perfume Project, Journeys Through Indian Fragrance. Again, I want to just congratulate you on this book. I, I can Thank only imagine you. what it takes to actually hold that book in your hand. It's got to be the best feeling in the whole wide world because there's so much blood, sweat, and tears that goes into creating a book, correct? Yeah, in every book. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a joy to read, and you really are a wonderful writer. So thank, thank you, you for so writing much. this book. Thank you for reading everybody- it. Oh, I would read 
many more if you just keep producing them. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure, of course. <laughs> I guess I just want to ask you, are you are people going to be able to get this outside of India? Or for now, you can only get this book in India, right? For now, it's only published in India. I hope that that will change um, yeah. later this anybody year. Listening? Maybe next year. <laughs> yeah, anybody, anybody listening? Anybody listening, please, please, please change that. But we'll try to get through... Uh, a little bit of the book. It's it's impossible to talk about the entire book in one conversation, so we're only going to touch on it. But I, I just wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to understand a little bit about what's going on in the industry in India today, because so many of the raw materials that many of my listeners work with yeah. come from India, come from here. right? So it, it's it's really important to understand how things work, what's changed, what hasn't. Um, I guess I want to ask you, how did you come about writing this book? Like, how did it all come about? It was really just, I mean, I was drawn to it really because I was curious. You know, I was, like I said, when I first began, like really paying attention to uh, to smell and to fragrance, I was living away from home. I was in New York at the time I was studying. And um, I can't tell you how it started, but I just sort of, developed this coping mechanism I'm going to call it that where I would take these walks and I would take the subway and go to other parts of Manhattan and walk into these um, really beautiful fragrance boutiques it was my first experience of kind of these standalone boutiques right uh, you know so not not the department store with all the, you know, with the beautiful counter and all the kinds of smells, but these singular brands and these boutiques where they also had these different technologies to help you smell the fragrance better. So, for example, I remember the Frederick Mal store yes. and they had this amazing, this chamber kind of thing that you step into. And then they spray whichever fragrance it is you want to smell in it. And I think these fans come on inside. It's, it's incredible. It was a little bit futuristic and very, very clever. Um, and the thing is that the way that that technology, what it does is that it, it sort of disperses the molecules so that you can smell the entire fragrance. You know, it's, mm. it's not as compact once it's sprayed in there and you're standing in there and right. smelling it. It opens up, it breathes. Yeah. yeah. And they would let me just be in there and take my time and smell and I sort of do some of these things. And it was also a time in my life. So I was doing this, you know, I was paying more attention also to the idea of smell because I was away from home. I was also writing a lot because we were, you know, I was doing my master's in journalism. We were writing and reporting and reading, asking more questions. I think that really is, you know, what you learn to do in school is to ask more questions and ask better questions. And mm -hmm. that was the time that I think the seed for this book was planted in my head. Um, when I went back home, I kind of um, didn't do anything for a long time. I was working and I forgot about it. And then I would pick it up every now and then. So I was, you know, I did the research very slowly, kind of in this very meandering way sometimes in a very disinterested way because I didn't have time and of course I didn't really believe that I was going to write a book you know, <laughs> um, you know that which is just that usual doubt that every writer I think is just beset yes, with like you want to do it and you 
absolutely believe that you're never going to be able to do it. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So um, it was just slowly through a process of remaining curious about the subject and reading about it that I came to this idea that I want to find out the stories behind these ingredients. Like you said, when you start exploring fragrance is when you also realize many of these materials seem to come from, you know, my part of the world. Right. Um, and so it just, I just kind of wanted to know a little bit more about the stories behind them and to write about it. And that's really how it began. I mean, well, congratulate you did it. And it's, <laughs> it, yeah, it's great. I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the structure of the book. Um, you tell the story of Indian perfumery, as I said, both through history and present day, through six aromatic plants. Yeah, really six, six ingredients. Pr products that come out of these aromatic plants, yeah. right? Because oud isn't a plant as such, but. Um, there are rose, jasmine, sandalwood, saffron, oud, and vetiver. Yeah. All of them gorgeous. How did you choose those six? Because as I learned in your book, there's over 18,500 varieties of aromatic plants in India. So yeah. why these six? <laughs> uh, that was a statistic that I also learned it through the research. It's, too, you oh, know, good. It's, not like I, it's not like I knew that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, certainly, you know, I picked them because I felt that these were sort of ingredients that in India would really resonate the most with people that read the book because these are materials that have been in continuous use for centuries. Yeah. And so, you know, they're, they're very used, they're very loved. They And I felt that these would be the ones that most people would have memories around or like a story to tell and it would be easier told through these six. Uh, but also there was the fact that, you know, I wanted to be able to really contextualize every ingredient that I was writing about historically. Mm. Um, and we have, of course, all these thousands of ingredients. Not all of them are ingredients that I would have been able to trace back. Got it. Yeah. Um, really well you know because doing the research uh there's a lot of reading that you do that is not specific to olfaction or perfumery there are a couple of treatises and you know some of those of course i had no access to either because they're in you know libraries far away but mostly because they're not written in a language that i can read ah, so yes, they would be in sanskrit or they would be in pali or they would be in you know in another language yeah. um, so I was using a lot of secondary sources and so things like this things like how perfumery was used and what role it played in lives in ancient India are uh, buried in a lot of other information about that era about the, that time um, and so it's only the really significant materials that make it to those records mm -hmm. so I would not have been able to trace back you know many more People always ask me, but why didn't you write one on tube rose? Or like, why didn't you include musk? And I would have loved to do those things, but they would have been very, there would have been like a limited amount of material that I could have used. And so, you know, they would have been pretty lame. <laughs> so I chose to go with the ones that I could tell the best. Well, you chose good ones, I have to say. And, you know, what I think separates this book from others that are out there is 
that you could have just stopped at, you know, sitting at home, researching, writing about what you read, but you chose to actually go to the places where these materials are made. And I think that's where the richness is in this book to me is getting that comparison. You start kind of with a little bit of the history and what you've researched and all that, but then you say, I'm going to go take a trip to where these yeah. I- ingredients actually are. And I think that's when you go from understanding something to really knowing something and you bring out the emotion more. So that's what I really appreciated about your book. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, like I said, there was the historical context that was really important to each ingredient, but there's also the, the geographical context because uh, for each of these, I went to a different part of the country. And so each of these ingredients is culturally really important in those parts of the country and you can't really separate the two and what I wanted to do was to know the the stories about these ingredients that meant that I most definitely would have to go to where the ingredient is but it was also I think such a joy and it was really the best part of writing this book was getting to go to these places and meet these people and, and and then like document what is happening because the the rest of the research was, you know, library research. So, Right. I mean, that's the boring part, right? This is where everything comes to life when you actually yeah, meet the people. Yeah, that was the, really the fun part and the exciting part. And, you know, I think I also went to some parts of India that otherwise I would not have necessarily gone to on my own for anything else. You probably learned a lot more about your own country, your own culture, you know, right? Just by, by doing this, because you just, everybody just lives their life every day and this and that. And it's a chance to go deeper. And that's how I would feel if I went yeah. back to Germany, for instance, which is not too many raw materials from there. But I think also a strong history of like uh, associations and like older associations that people would have, like they do everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, let's touch on a couple of these ingredients. We're going to touch on two of them here today. And I want to start with the rose. And I'm just curious before we get into what you actually discovered when you went to the region. So what were your thoughts about rose before you went in there, Um, before you started doing your research? And when you kind of think about rose as it is, you know, what were your thoughts before? So rose was actually something that has been important to me because like I mentioned to you, uh, my mother has been wearing this one fragrance forever. And that's a rose fragrance. It's um, YSL uh, Paris. Ah, Yves Saint Laurent Paris. Yves Saint Laurent Paris, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like the rose water or the rose oil, essential oil or absolute or whatever, you know. So this one fragrance was really my uh, idea of rose. And, you know, of course, it's very 80s (laughs) fragrance with like rose and violet, vanilla and all of that. But it's a note that I associate with my mother. So that was all you know it was an easy one to to get into for me yeah <laughs> very nice story. so then you went to what you call the center of indian perfumery so that's really interesting to to learn more about rose right tell me about that i went to kannauj yeah so in in india rose is grown i wouldn't say it's only grown in the north but it's associated with the north and with uttar pradesh which is uh, the state where kannauj is and it's the biggest state in the country um, Kanaj is, yeah, it's called the grass of the East. But uh-huh. the way, you know, the way I see it, it's really that grass is probably, it's probably the other way around because um, 
because Kannauj predates Graz by quite a lot. Um, okay. And it's the it's the center of the perfume trade in India. It's not where things are grown, but it is where a lot of distillation takes place and trading takes place. So also from a business point of view, uh, and this has historically been the case. Um, I mean, much Kannauj has been an important kingdom since the 5th century. Wow. You know, and there were the Guptas and then there was the different empire in the 6th and 7th century. Um, there's no exact date really that tells us when sort of the production of a fragrance began over there. But it, where it is geographically is, is in the uh, delta of the Ganges, which is a very fertile plain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is the state also where a lot of food crops are grown. Um, so And it has sort of a great microclimate also for growing a lot of these aromatic crops. So it's probably, you know, how that started. So, yeah, I went over there and it's, it's a pretty amazing place. It's, so it met your expectations. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not a big city. It's kind of okay. a small town and it's like a lot of small towns. In India, and particularly in North India, it's sort of like a, a rural-urban mix. Okay. You know, sort of been the, the center of the town is kind of an old city, so it's still a little bit medieval in how it looks. There's, you know, it's very narrow lanes, um, uh, sort of crowded on both sides. There's shops and there's houses and there's, you know, the carved doorways. Um and there's a lot of people, there's traffic, there's animals, there's everything going on. Um, and, um, you know, then it become, it's recently become bigger. Now they have like roads toward the outside and flyovers and more shops and more people and things. Interesting, that, yeah. Yeah, the heart of, this, of the place is still the old bazaar and the old town. So, yeah, and when you got here, when you got there, I should say, when you arrived, you went to visit the Fragrance and Flavor Development Center. So yeah. that's a, which is a government research center, right? That's yes. set up to study indigenous aromatic plants and their uses. So that sounds like yeah. a perfect place to, to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you get to smell a lot of materials? I did, yeah. You know, it's, uh, they've grown a lot of things. Just, you know, they have a little, like, they have their gardens where they grow things for the students to study them. Okay. They have the labs and they're studying um, properties of these plants and, like, you know, how to graft them and tissue cultures and things like that so you know they're nice. studying all of that and yeah when I went there I smelled um, kind of things like different kinds of mint uh, uh-huh. we, grow, we grow and export quite a lot of mint um, okay so they had like those varieties and palmarosa and patchouli whatever they had growing there at the moment um, citronella you know, this is what geranium. Yeah, these are some of the things I can remember that were just like yeah, growing there, yeah. so I could smell them. <laughs> now, did you? Was it there that you smelled the ethers? Uh, yeah, so ethers I had already smelt and I knew about before I went there. But there, I was able to just speak to them, learn a little more about it, and then, of course, eventually do the field distillery and see some of the distillation for myself. Okay. So can you describe to some people, you know, many, what many people might not know what an itter is, yeah. so maybe we can uh, describe that. Yeah, absolutely. So these are the, that is actually traditional fragrance. It's oil-based. Um, so you have, you know, you have two kinds. You have just the essential oil, 
which is called ru and ru in urdu means essence okay so it really mean the essence of the flower or you know the plant that's being extracted and when it's an ithar is most usually it's kind of um, ingredient you know whether it's a rose or a vetiver whatever it is distilled over a base of sandalwood oil so traditionally it was sandalwood oil that would be the base note the fixative yeah um, in an ithar you have some ithars that are not just these two ingredients and two notes but are like much more complex like uh, shamama is is one of them and a shamama could have up to like 30 or 40 ingredients oh, wow. and they would be resins and herbs and um okay flowers you know and it's quite spicy and a little more uh, yeah spicy is really how i would describe it and you something that you use more in the cold weather okay but all of them are they're always oil based and they're okay. always natural because traditional okay. perfumery of course relied on ingredients that grew indigenously so okay um, by definition natural yeah and are they worn regularly today by people or is it still something or did everybody go to the western perfumery <laughs> oh, less and less less and less that worn. you know they kind of uh, i it's just a question of i think you know they not everyone knows too much about it not everyone still has a taste for it and okay. then they're not i would say it has more of a marketing problem actually yeah. you know, marketing and image problem um, <laughs> because what's more easily available is of course you know perfume as we know it which is yeah uh, you know all the big brands and stuff like that and that's more easily available from kanauj the business model has been traditionally that it is not sold to consumers but these are ingredients that are sold to other businesses okay uh, you know so one of those like a major buyer is for example the tobacco industry india oh. flavor tobacco yeah they buy a lot of oils for that i see sorry it's not integrated into perfumery as much is what no, you're saying not as much yeah and things are slowly okay. changing now okay for the better getting it the marketing yeah i think so <laughs> my favorite one that i don't get to smell ever but i did get to smell once which was beautiful is the mitti utter it's yeah. i can't even say yeah. it properly mitti utter yeah mitti is uh, mitti means soil and it's oh. yeah it's actually it's really popular and it is you know it's got it's been written about a lot because it's a very romantic story to tell sure. as well there was this um American journalist I forgot I'm sorry I forget her name Christina somebody and she's written a book which is called Rain oh and she sort of yeah it's really like a, a history of rain or a cultural history of rain one chapter in that is on Kanauj and how in India they bottle the smell of the monsoon rain um, yeah and that's kind of what it smells like because that is distilled using terracotta okay uh, cups you know the, mm-hmm. the traditional the clay cups that are used for tea coolers okay. they've used those so those are distilled over sandalwood and that's the smell so you know and i wrote about this in the book and i found out that it's actually there's a particular molecule called geosmin that's responsible yes. for that smell 
it's it's just it's a molecule that human noses are exceptionally sensitive to so we're able to pick it up really easily um, yeah and yeah it does it, it it's really beautiful it's it, it does smell like it's kind of that's of you know rain on dry ground yeah um, that's the smell that it uh, captures really well I feel like everyone around the world has their own version of that. So that's why we're also connected to that smell, because you hope everywhere it rains at least a little bit. Here in California, we only get it every once in a while. But yeah, yeah, it's it's such a beautiful smell. Yeah, but back to the roses. Sorry, we diverted because I just needed to hear about the interest. So since you were there when you were researching about roses, but you went out to the rose fields as well, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah, that must have just been amazing. But there are a lot of different varieties of roses. And, you know, I think of India, you know, there's a lot of other regions that have rose as kind of the connective tissue, like Bulgaria or things. But what I thought was interesting is that you talked about this Rosa chinensis, which is not one that I'm too familiar with. And that was grown there, correct? Yeah, chinensis, you're right, is one variety that grows there. The Rosa Damascena also grows there and actually sure, sure. around where, you know, when they distill for oil, that's still, the Damascena is still the one that's used oh, okay. in the distillation. But the field I went to was this particular one, the Genensis, and it's, I would say it has a more delicate smell, mm. you know, so if I had to describe it as a color, it would be like a pale pink. Okay. Very subtle. Uh, you have to get up close to smell uh, it. Yeah, it, it is definitely much more subtle. The reason also this, it, it has a lower oil yield, so they don't use it for distillation. And so in Kannauj and the field that I went to in particular, that gentleman was cultivating them and that was going to be used for, they make this, you know, like in Bulgaria, you have a rose jam. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. And so there's a version of that, uh, that that's made here called Gulkand, which okay. is just rose petals and sugar and rose petals and sugar like layered. Um, yeah so essentially the same thing and it's really popular and it's um, eat it as a kind of like supposed to be good for your digestion Ah. according to Ayurveda Um, but it's still made a lot and it's popular and so this particular rose the petals where he was going to be selling them to be made into gulkan and maybe to be distilled for rose water but not for the oil okay so and then you also went to the, the like you were saying, you went to the distilleries and you got to see these old traditional yeah. processes. And that's yeah. got to be so incredible to experience that. It is. Like when you, you know, when you walk into one of these, it's just, it makes this very beautiful picture. Um, yeah. They call it the Deg and Bhapka, the method of distillation. It's actually a very simple hydro distillation. You know, mm-hmm. it's just these big copper sills and those are connected by like a bamboo pipe to a smaller mm-hmm. receiver and that receiver will be in like a will be in water in kind of like a big trough of water above. Um and that sill is where they'll put in the material and the water and then that's lit and the or the fire underneath is wood fired. Um and you know it's a simple hydro distillation. It condenses in the receiver, which is in the bath. But it's just the that exact system and the way that it's put together has been in use 
for like centuries mm. and it's still done in exactly the same way in Kannauj and wow. in, um, in Uttar Pradesh in general you know they really believe that this is the best way okay and so that's why they stick to it right um, you know and whether or not it is the best way is is a matter of debate so but when you go there to see it and if you you know if you google it or i can send you pictures it looks like something yeah. out of another time um, you went back in history in a way yeah yeah <laughs> That's so exciting. That's so great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you'll have to send me the links and then I can maybe share them with the listeners if they yeah. want to have a look too. That would be great. I'll put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. You also got to smell this really unusual ingredient that has a little bit of a smoky note, as you described it, called choya nak. Yeah. That Tell was, me about that. Uh, that was like completely new to me. It had a, it's basically, it's, you know, at first when I asked them, because when I reached, uh, and I saw it, it they already started the distillation. So they couldn't show me what it mm. was that was in there. Um, and so they kept trying to tell me what it was. And I was just, I couldn't understand. And then I figured out it is actually like the shells, like seashells, oh. but a particular yeah. kind of shell. And that's um, like roasted and then it's dry distilled. Um, so there's no other material in there. There's no water. There's no alcohol. It's dry distillation, and it was being distilled over over benzoin. But it's so it you know. And they told me because I went. I was like, oh, let me go and sniff it. And I went close. And I'm like, no, please don't do that, because <laughs> like if you smell this up close and undiluted, like it it has such a it's so strongly phenolic. And, you know, such a strong ammonia note mm. that, like, you know, people sometimes just pass out. Oh, because <laughs> it's really strong. So like, please don't go right up close to it. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it's, it's like a, it's like tar. And that dry distillation apparatus actually is, and I found out, is kind of, you know, they had a, they, archaeologists found something very similar a similar distillation apparatus and that is now that was in like they dated it back to like 3000 bc or something and it's in a museum wow. in takshila which is now in now pakistan but it's the same thing it's just it's pretty much the same thing that they were yeah. using there but yeah that nakhchoya uh, is uh, yeah it's a very smoky very tarry um, note and um, it's very interesting to smell once it's been diluted. But yeah, if you go up, go then, right then up it's there, smellable. Then it's going to really like knocks you out. <laughs> right, right. You have to dilute it first and then it's good. So I guess my last question for the rose is what would you say is your main takeaway about what you learned about going to the center of perfumery and just about the rose? Did you learn something new or was it pretty much everything you expected? It was some of what I expected, but it was, you know, it was, again, I'd say, like, the learning was all in the journey and the people that I met and going to the field to see the roses, going to a different field to see, you know, these sacks of roses being brought in the tractors and then being weighed over there and then this field distillery being set up and seeing that and 
you know, and so in some cases, of course, there were things I found out that were, um, you know, kind of uh, a little bit disillusioning because sandalwood oil, for example. So, you know, I, I assumed when they were distilling that this was all when they said that some of this is going to be essential oil and then some percentage would be made into atar. And I okay. was like, oh, so you'll distill it over sandalwood oil. And he just looked at me like, you're crazy. Um, <laughs> Because sandalwood oil is so, so expensive now and yes. so rare that, you know, that that is something that is not really done. It's not the norm anymore like it used to be. Um, right. And so they use DPG. Oh, I think like, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, these uh, sort of neutral um, solvents that have kind of a similar consistency. That are cheaper. Oil. Yeah, they're yeah. cheap. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, and so they use that, and yeah, I was quite crushed. <laughs> so it brought a little bit of reality in, right? This romantic notion of how things yeah, are, yeah. are done, and then the reality of today, and the costs, and the yeah, the world yeah. is just different today than it was yeah. back then. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to sandalwood because I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about sandalwood. Yeah. When we in, in in respect to to India, right? So I'm just curious again. Before you went and kind of explored sandalwood uh, yeah. in in these regions, tell me what you what was sandalwood like for you before? Not something I had like any particular you know association for. I mean, I, you know, you probably would smelt it in again in incense. Okay. Um, but uh. You know, like I said, I had not been, you know, and maybe smelled some perfumes. Um, samsara, you know, uh, is, is a really popular one, but and that uses my sort of sandalwood, actually, used to. It wasn't something that I really had any strong associations with, you know, any particular affinity for. Um, I knew about it. I'd smelt it. Um, yeah. And then I just went straight to the source to find out more. It's a really, really beautiful ingredient. Yeah, with a rich history, but yeah, very. present day, we don't get to smell it that much anymore because like you said, it's so expensive. And um, yeah, you, you probably, I think it's great that you went to this Institute of Wood Sciences and Technology in, yeah. in Bangalore to kind of get to the, the source, right? Yeah, I uh, went there uh, because, you know, when I started doing the research in the, when I went to the library, you know, there's no book saying sandalwood. Uh, the most <laughs> I found was like, and I was like, oh God, this is just, this is turning out to be really. This is painful. Yeah. Yeah, really uphill. Uh, and I found these like little like pamphlets or little like books on common diseases in sandalwood and fungal infections on sandalwood or whatever, you know, during colonial times. And I, I tried to read it and I couldn't. And I was like, okay, this part of the research is, you know, we have to abandon this approach. Um, and then yeah. I found out about this Wood Sciences Institute. I didn't know it was there. Um, a lot of people that live in Bangalore don't know it's there either. Because, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, they're, you know, they're scientists and they're doing their thing. But it's yeah. a beautiful campus, 25 acres. They have some old trees and then they're growing a lot of uh, you know, newer trees. So between the time I went and now, those trees would be much bigger as well. And um, yeah, it was a good place for me to go to learn about the 
sort of this scientific part of the wood, you know, which is not something I've spoken about too much in the writing, but mm. I wanted to get that background in for myself. Um, but there were, you know, they were sampling the wood and they were testing it and they could tell you about all the constituent molecules. Um, mm-hmm. But I did also get some great stories from them about poaching, you know, how they Which had is a huge come. problem, yeah. yeah. And they had had Tell poachers come yeah. onto the campus itself because the campus had a couple of these old trees, you know. So they they had a, an incident one night where they had these armed poachers sort of show up in the middle of the night and they had to call the police and they had to fend them off. And, you know, and it was really sweet because it was the director of the institute who was telling me. And, and, and the way that he was telling me was that he was, of course, he was scared they had guns, but he was also oh, wow. really scared that they're going to cut down these trees. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and these trees are so important to the Institute. Um, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, and they had managed to clone some very rare samples of like these old trees and they'd managed to, to clone them and using that sort of tissue material, grow a whole bunch of new trees. And it was a protected area because they were going to keep these trees for their research mm-hmm. to see whether this experiment had worked or not. And so they had, I don't remember, 25 or 50 trees or something like that. And every single one was poached. So every they lost, single one. Yeah, yeah. They basically, like, you know, they did all the things, but I don't know how tight their security was. Um, yeah. And yeah, so they were really, you know, it was a huge loss. Yeah to their research and just in general like you know, 50 50 sandalwood trees so i mean so just how long it story. takes to grow them right because exactly. that's the thing about sandalwood oil is that it's about the heart of the wood and it takes time it takes yeah. years and, and years the to get the tree the better and 15 yeah. years is the minimum right those are the young trees the 15 yeah. year old trees exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah and you get the older the more uh, the higher the quality of the oil, and exactly, yeah, that's. But I'm glad that they still have the institute, and despite the poaching, I know adulteration is also a big issue with sandalwood, right? Yeah, every kind of problem you'd probably find it there. And sandalwood is just like such a rare material and so expensive. And Mysore sandalwood, in particular, um, yeah. and we had, you know, to begin with, a huge population of wild and old growth sandalwood trees in the western ghats so the forests in the southern states and those were all those forests have just been completely decimated there's nothing left there and so now the sandalwood that's there is a plantation wood okay but like you said they're very slow growing trees and there just is a difference in the quality of the oil so they're trying but in the meanwhile you know i think the the industry really shifted to Australia, where okay. they sort of were growing them in plantations systematically, and you know, so they were, I think became a major producer. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So it's it's, uh, it's sad. It's kind of sad because it's just historically it's India that's known for its sandalwood, and yeah, it's a um, really beautiful sandalwood. Tell me, can you describe what my source sandalwood smells like? For those yeah. who haven't smelled it yet. Oh, she's smiling. If you could see her smiling. She's <laughs> yeah, so happy. Sometimes I used to have a bottle lying somewhere here. I can't see it right now. 
um, yeah, it's like a really like it's a very gentle woody smell. You know, when I went also to the after the Food Sciences Institute, I went to the Karnataka Soaps and Detergents Limited, which is this huge factory, and they distill a lot of the oil there. And okay. they're very famous for this one product, which has been around for now, I don't know, 70 years or something. It's a Mysore sandalwood soap hmm. that actually has a small percentage of Mysore sandalwood in it. Uh, and that now has a GI tag as well, that soap. Wow. Yeah. And so I went there. They just finished the distillation. So, you know, so they, dis- they had like uh, distilled a few tons of wood. And then just, they were just at the end of that cycle. Um, and so you smell it everywhere when you walk into that place. And it's a really, it's, you know, it's when you think of wood smells, I think you usually think of a drier, you think of, you know, woody smells as being drier. And, and this is a very sweet and kind of milky, almost creamy smelling wood really very smooth really gentle and very smooth very rounded you know like yeah if you if you thought of it as a shape it would be it would be spherical you know it would be circle. okay it would be a circle yeah like yeah. there are no hard edges there and you smell yeah. this, this oil nothing spiky <laughs> no i can imagine and it just for anybody who's smelled it i'm sure it's just a, a dream and really it's it's easy. It's comforting. It's yeah. it's something and you it's, can get it's, close it's to and wrap yourself also in. Like milky, <laughs> so it's really very nice. <laughs> so overall, what would you say is your takeaway about sandalwood then? After you've done all this exploration, I mean, is it something that you are you worried that the poaching is going to continue and it's just? Do you think the Indian sandalwood industry is going to recover and thrive? I mean, I hope so. One thing I understood it was, you know, really why it's so expensive is something that became like completely clear to me uh, yeah. by the end. I don't think poaching is going to stop. I think poachers yeah. get more innovative than the government gets about security because, you know, if you can imagine it, it's the kind of thing where you could cut down a tree and you could take that wood and cut it into small pieces and you could say, okay, I'm going to hide it. So you bury it somewhere and you leave it there for a couple of years. And when you come back and you dig it up and, you know, it hasn't lost any value. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing Everybody has still wants it. it. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> still wants it. The oil in it is still as good as it always was. It hasn't lost any value. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do think the state had certain policies that I think were really hidebound. Only the state was allowed to buy and distill the wood. So you could be Ah. a grower, but you could not cut down the trees and distill it. And so those policies have changed slowly and they've opened up. So, you know, and they sort of made them a little more liberal and relaxed the norms to some extent. Okay. And so, of course, we hope that like there'll be some kind of revival. but. You know, and if there is, it, it will definitely have to be very slow. Yeah, given yeah, the yeah. nature of the tree. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, but I mean, I, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that the industry continues yeah. to grow <laughs> and the trees grow. <laughs> and you know, all of us who enjoy the natural sandalwood, we just have to be mindful that consumption has to be with care. I mean, the the price, of course, keeps you. <laughs> away or keeps you buying in small quantities if at all so uh, i think the synthetic versions or if you're in perfumery 
they're yeah. they're good alternative there are uh, there yeah. are there's lots of synthetic sandalwoods and i know they keep coming up with newer better molecules sure uh, and many of them do a great job right right yeah so i want to ask you then overall before we finish in all of your we only touched on two raw materials but if you had to look at your whole book and all the research that you did is there any kind of big surprising thing that you could take away overall? Like, are you glad you took this journey? And absolutely, and are you <laughs> absolutely? She says with her eyes wide open. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would too. Just having gone to all these places, I'm sure it was so eye opening and makes you want to go deeper, even. Yeah, continue to explore. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, for me, like one of those the. I think one of my favorite chapters to write was the one on wood, um, oh. you know, to go to Assam. When I started doing the research, when I started both in, you know, in the library and reading about it, as well as when I started smelling and like going there and meeting people, it was just kind of surprise after surprise. And it was wonderful, you know, that, that to know that agar wood has been, is, is native to this to the northeast of India and has always been so you know the mentions of this wood that go way way back to that they're in like some of our sort of scriptures and some you know mm. very early recorded history you know either as either factually or even anecdotally um, right and then you know I had smelt wood by the you know there's a difference of many years from the time that I wrote the first chapter to the time that I wrote the last chapter. So in between, I had worked, I had studied, I had smelled so much more. So I didn't right. go in completely knowing nothing. So of course, I had smelled food, quite a lot of it by the time I went there. But it was still a surprise to me when I smelled all these different foods um, yeah. from just different regions within the Northeast of India. And you smell them and you see how different they are from one another so you yeah. know, there were the woods that I smelled that that smelled the way I expected them to you know it's kind of right. um, almost animalic like really strongly ugly and strong smell and then there were the ones that were you know kind of almost floral and there was one in particular that I smelled that was almost green you know um, wow. it had these like really really amazing green notes and it I was, love green notes they're the best yeah, yeah and I was so surprised to find that that there were these differences you know depending on it was almost like you have with wine you know you have yeah. terroir and it was sure. similar to that yeah um, so that was great and then overall I'd say you know it was um, I really understood how this industry in India the way it is now is you know if we talk of traditional perfume in Itar, it's very labor intensive and it's yeah. really a craft, really yes. a craft. When I went there and you go to those, you know, particularly those old distilleries that I dis described to you, everything is done by hand. For many of those people who work there, they, they're not, they should be considered like masters of this craft, but they're not really recognized as such, even though they will tell you themselves that it's not something you can learn by studying or seeing. It's passed down to them over generations. You know, many times I would ask them, well, like, but how do you know this is full now and you need to change the receiver? 
and they just they can't explain it to you they would just say oh we just know <laughs> you know i just touch it and then i know yeah um, or how do you know that it's time to sort of put more wood in this fire to to have it maintain the temperature that is required inside yeah. that sill and like again oh we just know um and that yeah. just know comes from a process of having done the work for years and years and years and you know so it's really really a craft yeah that's and they pass it down i hope they will continue to pass it down generations yeah i hope but you know that that's may not be the case because they're sort of not like i said they're not recognized really in the way that i think in the west for example they yeah. would be they're not you know so there isn't that much value given to the person who's like doing this work it's very hard yeah. work and very precise actually yeah. yeah maybe your book will help that a little bit people will read it i hope and i can hope <laughs> <laughs> i hope too because i think it's just something that yeah we should appreciate more this traditional way there's some things that are traditional that are really important to pass on or else if we lose it can you imagine if we just lost all that knowledge and like you said it seems to be people passing it down yeah. and just that you is... know by doing yeah exactly there's sort of uh you know like a there's a growing interest in it now and there are some brands that you know smaller indigenous brands that are trying to revive this and market it and sell Good. it to people directly and so you know there's just like a sort of resurgence in interest Good. in this traditional craft and you know it's small but it it's there whereas okay. 10 okay. years maybe a decade ago it was not okay that's a good sign <laughs> yeah so i always like to ask my guests three questions at the end i did give them to you ahead of time i can't wait to hear what you have to say i'm sure it was a little bit challenging i don't know maybe it was easy but i wanted to ask you first of all what's your favorite smell right now any smell in the whole wide world yeah, I, I did read this one and I was like, oh man, this is a tough one. I have to think about it. <laughs> and I thought like, I'm not going to talk about um, in terms of um, perfume or anything, but just like smells yeah. that I enjoy. So there's two of them. And okay. one is a particular kind of like jasmine that we have here. Uh -huh. And I have it also growing in my garden. Um, nice. It's called Ratkirani, which just translates to queen of the night nice you know? so yeah. it's, it's a small night blooming jasmine it's like the flowers are really tiny sort of funnel shaped flowers okay and it only blooms maybe twice maximum thrice a year um and it's like i love that fragrance <laughs> it's it's like a it's jasmine but it's got a lot of honey notes Oh, so it's got a sweetness to it. What do you say? Yeah, saying? it's got a sweetness, and it's not—it's you—it's not got really a lot of indoles, you know, like when you right, smell that, that traditional indole yeah. smell that you get in the jasmine. It's not yeah. that it's much sweeter, and there's a lot of like, it really smells like honey as well as you know. So it has like a vanilla honey note as well as the jasmine, and it's ah. beautiful. So there's that. Can, um, sorry, before we go on, can I ask you about that? Is it so? Is it easier to smell that as it's growing like you wouldn't pick it because it would lose its scent yeah. so quickly right yeah, so you have you to kind of keep it. it in your garden and and probably at certain times of day it 
yeah at night. Rooms at night and <laughs> yeah, then by exactly. the morning like it's they've shut Aww. again and um, in a couple of days you'll see that all the flowers and the tiny tiny flowers have like fallen and then Aww. that's done and you there's you can't um the, you can't extract it there's not you know those flowers are too tiny and they're too delicate yeah. you can probably reconstitute it using okay. other materials like in a lab sure. but you can't extract it it's really so it's it's meant to be enjoyed in the moment one of those yeah. examples that not everything can be bottled from its origin i mean you can like you said you can reconstitute it but yeah. some things are just meant to be smelled then yeah. and there <laughs> absolutely you're so right um, sorry and go ahead with the next one then <laughs> so the next one was just like you know how i'm really enjoying all these like um sort of yeasty bread wheat smells mm. so like a fresh bread or a fresh roti you mm. know when it's still hot um yeah so really kind of been into those now you're making me hungry <laughs> <laughs> toast toast is a great smell yes that's true that's true and then i know you've shared some scent memories with me already but do you have any one in particular that you, that still stands out that you haven't shared that you'd like to share i can't think of another one no i'm so okay. sorry no, that's okay. I mean, you've already <laughs> shared you shared them at the beginning, so you have some beautiful scent memories. I think just the what I like is that you can still smell your mother's perfume because she's still wearing it, and she's still wearing it's it. yeah. I mean, it's it's like it's something from the past, yet you know, it's still part of her today. And, I tried to get yeah. her like other rose fragrances, and she sort of experimented with them for a while, and then she just went back to this one. Oh. Yeah. Because it's good that she went away from for a bit because after a while you don't even smell it on yourself anymore, right? Because it just becomes a part of you. Yeah. <laughs> Your nose adapts. And for me, as well as, you know, my sister, it's like, it's such a strong association because it's on all her clothes and in her closet. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's just part of her, her yeah. breathing. That's great. Well, the last question I have is, would you say, what are the five smells that best describe you? Okay. I've, I have not taken anyone else's opinion on this and to ask them like, oh, what are the smells that you, I'm just going to, I was like, I'll just do this by myself. <laughs> How you project yourself <laughs> to others. Yes. Yeah. So there's grass and soil because, mm -hmm. um, for my garden, because I'm there a lot and I work there a lot. So there's those smells and then there's, um, some cooking smells. So there's cumin. Oh, nice. Which yeah. we use really commonly. And then I really like as well as bitter almond because i really enjoy that even in baking um, huh? baking as well as in general like in products even you know if there's something that has that like almond smell sort of gravitate toward it um uh -huh. mint again because it's something that i grow a lot of right um, and so i get it from the garden um orange blossom oh again from, because it's so beautiful, beautiful. I have a small plant, but there's someone who lives close by who has a big, big tree. Uh, and so when that's in bloom. Isn't that the best? Like before the oranges come and just the blossoms yeah. are just that's the incredible. best. Yeah. Um, is that fine? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Great. <laughs> well, now I have a better sense for you and your personality. And I think we bring a good mix of different aspects so thank you so much I, well thank you so much for talking to me about your book and 
Yes, I know for most listeners, you will not be able to get a hold of this book yet, but I would recommend that that we make some noise so that some publisher will (laughs) distribute it more widely. I'll put your contact information in the show notes, at least, or where people can connect. And if we can make a lot of noise for that book, you know, (laughs) there's demand. They need to distribute. Power of social media. (laughs) There you go. So so let's all do that, everybody listening here today, because it really is a beautiful book. and I really wish people to be able to to read it in its entirety because we can only touch on a, a bit of it here today. So yeah, thank well, you for coming and for thank sharing. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And thank you again for reading my book. And yeah, this has been great. Thanks for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be so helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website and aromaticlife.com, where I share lots of information, including my projects around the sense of smell. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.